Giving eye drops to a two and a half year old, let me tell you that is an experience. That is a lot of fun. And it involves a lot of, um, I hope you wrestled in high school or have some kind of form of controlling other human beings. It really is, I just held her down and Hannah kind of pinned her head between her knees and we just dripped them in her eyes and just, if you blow in somebody's face it makes them blink. We got them in there and so she's getting better, uh, but I just didn't want to be the missionary that came and brought y'all pink eye. I didn't think y'all would appreciate that, so uh, they're at home. Uh, with uh, t- tonight, they're not with us, but we are on the way to Chile. We do have prayer cards. Um, please get one. I've got plenty of them, and uh, I'm also in no hurry to get out of here. It's only five hours back home, which say only five hours. I, listen, I just drove from uh, Shingle House, PA, which is up on the border uh, with New York to Atlanta in a, less than a day, so five hours is nothing. The first three hours are free, and so I've got all the time in the world to talk to you, any questions you may have. Um, we have a video we'll show here in just a moment, but... Um, one thing I like to do to help people understand about this is the size and the need in Chile. So we're going to be in the capital city of Santiago, uh, which is over one-third of the population of Chile lives in Santiago. And uh, we're going to be starting churches or be church planning. Now, if I did my math and everything, this is Carroll County, uh, Carroll County, Virginia. The size of this county, the land mass that it takes up, is 478 square miles with a population of about 30,000 people. That's a pretty good amount of people for, you know, for that size area. Santiago is only 250 square miles, so it's almost two times smaller land-wise than this county. There's over 7 million people that live there. Now, there's 8 million people in all of Virginia. So basically, imagine everybody in Virginia moves to Carroll County on one day. That's about the size of the city that God has called us to work in. And that is a, it's a sobering fact. It's an intimidating fact. I mean, it's an exciting fact because we'll have people to reach for the rest of our lives. You talk about gospel job security. Hey, a city that big, that's it. There's, a, there's always another door to knock on. There's always somewhere else that's going to need a church. I mean, it's so... Um, and you, if you stand on a street corner in Santiago, you can walk for 15 minutes. And in 15 minutes, uh, you've passed about 50,000 people, give or take. I mean, it's just... That many people in that small of an area, they're just, they're just, they're, if you, and on the prayer cards you can see that, I mean, the buildings just go up and it just goes out and it's just a lot. It's huge. I mean, it's a mega city and uh, there's a great need for the gospel. And so there's another family out of our church and board, uh, the Holtz. They've been in Chile for 16 years and God has used them to start um, 11 churches and a Bible college that they've, since they've been there. And so he did a survey and he looked for independent Baptist churches and I'm, I always want to say this, so not that anybody cares or knows who I am, but just in case someone's watching and wants to make a nasty soundbite. I don't mean this in a mean way or a bad way or any, any kind of way, but I'm an independent Baptist, and we're going to start independent Baptist churches, and so that when he did this survey, he looked for independent Baptist churches. So that's, that's the only point that I'm trying to make, okay? And um, it's like I say I like pepperoni pizza. It doesn't mean that I hate sausage pizza. I just like pepperoni pizza. That's all I'm saying. Don't read into it. In the whole country, he found 110 independent Baptist churches, with an average attendance of about 43 to 45 people. So that means on a given Sunday, there's, in a country of 20 million people, 5,000 people that have a church like this one. That's, hey, praise the Lord for five, that's, that's incredible. Praise the Lord for that, but 20 million people, 5,000 have a church, and that's not enough people in church. There's not enough churches, there's not enough saved people, there's a lot of work to do. And uh, we started deputation last January, January the 12th was our first meeting. And uh, so almost coming up on two years. Now, as you know, COVID showed up last year. I don't know if you all had it up here. It was not fun anywhere else that I ever was. But from middle of March through August, I mean, there was just nothing going on. Um, I actually went back to work at the job that I had just quit because we started January, started full time. And I walked back in and said, now, I know I told you all I was quitting. You all are never going to see me again, but I hope you haven't touched my office. And 
they hadn't. And so I worked for a guy from the church, and so he was very gracious about it, and he let me come back and work. And then in August, everything opened back up, and God is blessed, and we're at 62% of our needed support. And so we are, Lord willing, leaving sometime towards the back half of next year. Uh, I'm thinking end of summer, early fall will probably be a good time. And uh, we're ready to get down there, as you'll see in the video. Uh, my wife and I were 31. We got married at 21, and we had an opportunity uh, after that to go serve as missionaries in Peru for two years. So we've been to South America. We speak Spanish. We know the language. Um, and I, we've actually been to Santiago on a couple different occasions. Um, uh, Jason, uh, Brother Holt, invited me down to preach youth camp uh, one year while we were down there, and that was, that was one of the highlight experiences of my life. Uh, from Sunday morning to Sunday morning, I got to preach 18 messages. It was, I mean, it was incredible, really. I've never preached half that many messages in English. I mean, and so to pre- it, was, it was awesome. I got to preach it in Spanish, and uh, God used it. So we're excited to get back there, start some churches. And um, after this, I'll, I'll say this, I'll shut up, and we'll show the video. But, you know, just talking about ministry and goals and, and plans and, and, and dreams for 7 million people, and there's, a, there's a lot of room to dream and a lot of room to plan and a lot of room to work. I said, there's, but there's one thing that I really want to do is I want to plant a church and turn it over to a national pastor and it just runs on its own. And it doesn't need my money. It, they, 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 they can get their own people saved. Their pastor is making their own decisions. Like you have a child. You know that your child's going to grow up and go off into the world and you want him or her to be a a fully functioning adult, able to go and have a... I want to do the same thing, you know, obviously with my, my children, but, but with a church. And we're going to need churches that start churches. I mean, one church, ain't no way, no church can reach 7 million people. Forget it. I mean, realistically, what can, how, many, how many people can a church reach? I don't know. Not, not, not that many. So we need churches that can start churches. Uh, so, but you've got to start with one. And so that's just as a, as a dream and a desire that I think God has put in my heart uh, for a while now is, is to start a church. And so... Uh, we'll show our video here. It's only about two minutes, so it's it's not very long, and uh, then I'll be then I'll be back. So, thank you very much. And again, if you have any questions, anything I didn't cover, uh, feel free to ask afterwards. I'm not really going anywhere in a hurry.
we have adapted to Latin American culture, and in only a few short months after arriving on the field, we will be ready to plant another local independent Baptist church. Lord willing, we are leaving in the summer of 2022 for Santiago, Chile. I would ask you to please pray about financially supporting us as we go to Chile, and as always, please keep our dedication in your prayers. All right, so there you go. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah tonight, if you would please. Jeremiah uh, chapter number 13 is where we'll be. And um, I don't know if anybody here has ever missed an opportunity or wasted an opportunity. Uh, sometimes it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes it is. I, uh, I told Hannah that y'all have Facebook, so she might be watching, so I'm not picking on my wife with her not being here. Uh, but like Christmas shopping and birthday shopping and gift shopping, her love language is, 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 is gift giving. That's how she expresses love. And she's always looking for sales. And well, at 8 p.m. Pacific time to 9 p.m. Pacific time, this sale is starting. So we need to be where I got cell phone service so I can, it, it's 25% off. And I get it. You want to you catch a good deal, okay? If you don't, you don't. If you, it's not, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world if you miss a sale. I mean, there'll, there'll be another sale, you know? Um, I think. This is maybe silly to y'all, but in high school, I ran, I ran track. And uh, I, in high school, I grew up in Maryland, and so in Maryland, I ran, they, they run the 110 hurdles, which are the high hurdles, and the 300-meter hurdles. And uh, my senior year, last year in high school, going into the state championship meet, I was like, I'm going to win both. I'm going to be a double champion. I'm from a little dinky farming town that's like no one's ever heard of. I mean, we're between nothing and nowhere else. I mean, just there's no, we're just picked on. We're the dumb school. We're the poor school. We never win anything. And so this is the chance for us to, like, get a little bit of glory for Brunswick, Maryland. And uh, I finished like third and sixth. I fell in both races, and I still am like, you goob, you wasted that opportunity. You could have done something. Now you're just a nobody. Well, nothing would have changed had I won. But you don't like to waste an opportunity. Now that is sales. and spe- it's un- That's un- un- or inconsequential. That doesn't really matter in, in the great scheme of things. It's not that important. Missing an opportunity to serve God and to be used by God is not an opportunity I want to miss. In Jeremiah chapter 13, we see where Israel wasted just that. Now, this story, this passage here, to get, before we get into it, this is an object lesson, so to speak. God, a lot of times, when he gave the prophet a message to preach, he gave them a physical uh, object to illustrate the, their truth or to illustrate their message. One year, we were at youth camp, and um, it was a tabernacle, and so you know the section was about like this, and the stage wasn't very high, and it was very close to the front pew, and it, you know, it was... It was not quite as many pews as y'all have here, maybe two-thirds of this, and uh, a visiting pastor came, and he preached, and he brought this propane tank with his attachment, um, and it, it, was, it looked like a pressure washer, but it shot fire instead of water. And he said, now some of y'all are here, y'all are not saved, and he literally shot a jet of flame, like five rows deep over the head of these kids. He says, y'all are going to die and go to hell. And he, I mean, literally, like 10 kids got saved. It was incredible. It was, it was awesome. It, was, it illustrated the truth he was trying to get across. And that's what God does here to Jeremiah. He gives him a girdle, and Jeremiah buries the girdle, and it rots. And he says, just like this piece of clothing is rotted and good for nothing, that's what Israel has become. So let's pick it up. Jeremiah chapter 1, or or Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 1 to verse 11. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins. And the girdle is kind of, we don't really wear them today, kind of be like undergarments that fit kind of close to your waist and hips area. It's kind of a tighter fitting 
close-fitting garment, it says, So I got a girdle, uh, according to the word of the Lord, and put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, uh, and arise, go to Euphrates, and hide there in the hole of a rock, or of the rock. So I went and hid it by Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, and take the girdle from thence, which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates and digged, and took the girdle from the place which I had hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred and profitable for nothing. It was useless, it was rotten. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner I will, will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people, which refuse to hear my words, and walk in the imagination of their heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be, now look at this, we're going to change this, that they might be, so this would happen, that they might be a people and for a name and for praise and for a glory, but they would not. So this is what I wanted to happen, but this is not what happened, but they would not hear. And they wasted a wonderful opportunity. On two fronts. Number one, he says, just like that girdle was going to be close to you, I was going to have a very close and special relationship with Israel. And just like, he says, they would have been a people, they would have been a praise, a glory, and he said, they would have been close to me, and I would have done wonderful things with them. I would have used them, I would have used them to bring glory to myself, and bring praise to myself, and make myself, they would have enjoyed a special relationship, special services and privileges, but they would not. Here. And I understand, listen, I know, I know it's, it's 2021 going on 2022. I know what the world is like. I mean, I, don't, I agree, don't watch the news. Okay, if something really bad is happening, it, it will find its way to you. Okay, they, there's, I mean, there's, it'll, it'll get there. I mean, it's, news is depressing. Really, it is. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's sad. I mean, don't be totally ignorant, but don't get too obsessed. I mean, gas prices are up. I mean, and look, we got it bad here. Okay, I was just, like I said, I was just in Pennsylvania. It was like 370 a gallon. I was like, Lord help this i don't like it up here it is it is expensive and this ain't great i mean listen i understand the world is what it is okay not that god doesn't care and that he doesn't care that we have problems but god is not really hindered by those things god doesn't look and say well the economy's in the tank i can't really do anything or well look who's president look at the government or look at society i was gonna move but i don't think the white house no god is still moving and God is still working, and God is still calling people. God is still saving people. God is still doing wonderful things. God is, is, is still moving. As, 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 as we travel in deputation, man, we're in three, four churches a week, and I love it because I get to meet new churches, new pastors, new people, and see how God is moving all over the country. People, people being saved, people being called into ministry, people getting their marriages fixed, people getting victory over sin, people getting right, people getting back in churches. God is still moving. I don't really buy this attitude of let's just circle the wagons up and let's just hold on tight and let's just try to run the clock down to zero and one day we'll get out of here. No, we can still do something for God. God's hand is not shortened. His arm has not lost power. His ear is not deaf. His his eye is not blind. God is still moving and he wants to move here. Let's not waste that opportunity. We'll pray here in a minute, but one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro on the whole earth, looking to show himself strong. And I would always stop right there when I read that verse. I thought, man, God is moving and God is looking. And his eyes tonight are running through the pews of this church looking for somebody. And he is. 
God is using. But the rest of that verse is the important part of that verse. To show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect with him. God doesn't just use anybody. Okay, there, there are certain parameters you can say on who God uses. And I'm not a very um, deep-thinking person. In my estimation, the simplest way usually is the best way. And, and uh, so I'm not trying to trick you. There's no gimme or gotcha statements here. But something, something I'd like to impress upon you before we pray is this. If you want God to use you, be the kind of person God uses. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. And as we look at Jeremiah chapter 13, I pray that you'd help us to learn from Israel's mistakes. God, they had an opportunity to be used by you. They had an opportunity to know you and walk with you in a very special way, Lord, and they wasted that opportunity. Help us not to repeat their mistakes. God, help us to make the most of this time that you have given us to serve you and know you and walk with you and worship you and make you known to the nations, Lord right here at home in Virginia and all around the world. We love you and thank you. Pray that you would bless your word and its preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. So I see four things in this passage that, that, <clears throat> that Israel did that uh, hindered God using them. Number one, they were proud people. They were proud people. Look at what it says in chapter number, or sorry, verse number uh, nine. It says, Then, or thus saith the Lord unto me, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. And then if you look over at verse 17, it says, But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. They, they were very, very proud people. And I cannot think of anything that is like throwing icy, cold water on the work of God like pride. I mean, there is, there is no redeeming quality to pride. Pride is, is just, it's just an abomination to everything. It's just, the Bible says in, in, in uh, Proverbs 16.5 and Proverbs 6.17 that everyone who is proud is an abomination and, and that pride, it's an abomination. It means God hates it. It doesn't mean that it's, he's kind of indifferent or he doesn't really like it, but we can get by. And listen, I, I know that we, we just had Thanksgiving and everybody loves dressing and everybody loves stuffing. Whichever you prefer, that's fine. I don't really like either of them, okay? I will take extra sweet potato casserole with or without marshmallows, but I really don't like dressing. But if you put it on my plate, I will eat it. Okay, it, I, I, it's not an abomination. It's not something that I just absolutely hate. Now, my mom, I love my mom, but when she cuts her salad, she puts, she puts it like on the plate, and she just puts her fork and knife on the glass plate and does this number, and it makes that screechy noise on the glass. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't stand that. I will leave. Uh, I'll plug my ears. I'll go outside. I'll, I'll go check on the neighbors. I'll, I'll take the dog. For, I just, I, that noise is an abomination to me. I hate it. I will not exist near it. I will take her plate privileges away. I just cannot stand it. That's how God feels about pride. He wants nothing to do with pride. Accepting pride into your life is, the, is basically saying, God, you, I don't really want you here right now. Um, twice in the New Testament, the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, in verse 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, that God resists the proud. God resisteth the proud. Now, it doesn't mean that God just ignores the proud. Now, listen. If you have pride, if we have pride in our life, certainly God takes his hand off of that. Right? You never find sin and God's hand in the same place. They, don't, they just don't go together. But that verse doesn't say that God just ignores the proud. That he just, he just backs up and says, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. I'm not going to get involved. And until you come back to me, you're just going to sit right there. And I'm just going to sit right here, separated from you. That's not what that verse says. The verse says that God resists. So that means you're going this way, 
and God is pulling or pushing you back that way. That's what resistance is, right? It means it, it, it's making it harder for you to go in the direction that, that you go. I told you, you know, we used to run track, and Isabella, man, she is just like a ball of energy. She pretty much never gets sick because she never stops moving for germs to catch up to her. She just, as soon as she wakes up, she's like, Daddy, I'm awake, and then she just runs. And you know those, like, those stretchy rehab bands I'm talking about? My parents have those at their house, and we were just up there for Thanksgiving. And she just had so much energy, and I was like, I'm just going to tie this around your hip, and I'm just going to let you do, like, like, run. I'll hold it, and you run. The resistance will pull you backwards. I just made her stronger. I tried to slow her down and give her, but just like, pulling back against her, making it harder. That's what God does when we're proud. Well, life's already hard enough, right? I mean, we, we don't need to make life any harder. That's when we have God. We're, we're going with God. Now we don't really want to get, so to speak, get him going against us. And here's the thing. If, if we are encountering resistance with God, God's not the one going in the wrong way. It's usually Kyle Shreve. Okay, God, God never makes a wrong turn or, or heads the one. Listen, I, am, I got this from my dad. I am terrible about turning the wrong way down a one-way street. I'm like, well, whatever. They'll figure it out. They'll move. Okay, there's a sidewalk. We can, we can both fit. God never does that. He ne- so if, there's, if you're encountering resistance, it's, it's on our end. It's not his end. So the Bible says that God resists the proud. Um, so what is the opposite of that? If they were proud people, what ought we to be? Well, there's a very easy antidote to that, and it's humility. Listen, if I told you you could have all the dessert you wanted, eat all the dessert you wanted and never gain a pound, you'd say, yes, sign me up. What dessert is humble pie? That's, that's, that's un- and I, listen, it is, it is one that we all, starting with myself, need to have a second and third helping of, but it's the one that none of us want to eat. Humility is hard. I was, I was listening to a, a, a book on the way up here, and something somebody said, I thought it was good, says, unity takes humility. It does. I mean, but is there anything more blessed than, than humility? See, God resists the proud. He, he pushes against the proud. He actively slows down pride. But the Bible says in those, both those verses twice, he says that he gives more grace to the humble. So when we are humble before God, God gives us an extra blessing. He gives us not just the standard amount of grace, he gives extra grace to that. And I really, I mean, I can't, I can't think of one good thing about pride. Do you like being around proud people? You have coworkers who think they know everything, and they're in meetings, and they're just pontificating and waxing eloquent about how they're the greatest thing since and before sliced bread and blah, 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 blah. What is everybody doing? They're rolling their eyes, and they're doing this behind their back. Maybe they're not doing it outwardly, but they're definitely doing it inwardly. Right? There's nothing good about pride. You don't like being around proud people. You think God likes being around proud people? No, but humility, that is blessed of the Lord. Humility, I read, I read in the Bible about two guys who go to the temple. One man was a Pharisee. He went to the temple, and he looked at a publican and said, Thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like this man. And the publican was so humble, he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, and he smote his chest and said, God, have mercy on a sinner like me. And the Bible asked the question, which of those two men do you think went home justified? I don't think it was the proud guy. I think it was the man who was humble. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 tells us that our job is to just submit ourselves under God's hand, and in due time, he'll exalt us when it's his time to exalt us. It's not my job to, to worry about it. My job is just to be humble and serve God. So Israel, man, Judah, they were proud people. We should be humble people. Number two, they were hard of hearing. Look at what it says in verse number 10. It says, this evil people which refuse to hear my words. 
Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't hear. Now, there are, there's been times I've done things and I didn't know that I was doing the wrong thing. Now, it doesn't excuse it or justify it, but I was driving to Wisconsin one time, and long story short, I had to get from point A to point B real quick, and I was, the speed limit was 55, and then it was 35, and I didn't know it was 35, and the police officer let me know that it was 35, and I was like, I'm really sorry, officer, I didn't know, and he says, I understand, here's your ticket anyway. Okay, I, I really, I wasn't trying to just break the law, I just didn't know, it was a small town, it was snowy, it was just, I didn't, well, it wasn't snow, I wasn't speeding the snow, you understand, there, there was snow, because it was winter, anyway, I just didn't know. That's not what's happening here. It doesn't say they couldn't hear, that they didn't hear, that they just didn't know about. The Bible says they refused to hear. That means that it got to them, that the, that the word was preached to them, that they heard the word, and they said, no, thank you. I used to work, uh, I told you I worked for a guy from the church, it was a marble warehouse, and we, we shipped marble, like marble tile, and so we would ship pallets of it. And sometimes uh, UPS got it there in one piece, and sometimes they got it there in multiple pieces. And what you do, if you, get, if you get a package that's busted up, what do you do? You refuse it. You say, you got it here, but I'm, that's, that's either not my package or you've destroyed it. I'm not accepting. I'm not letting that into my house. I'm not, that, that's your problem, not mine. That is what they did to God's word. Now, they had a prophet. Right? They had Jeremiah. And they didn't have all 66 books of the Bible like we do today. Sure, I'll give them that. But they had a prophet. And that's a really big deal in the Old Testament. Because it wasn't like you could just go to the books of today. If I want to hear God's word, if I want God to talk to me, I can pick up his book and I can read his word. And God will talk to me. He'll talk to me as much as I want him to talk to me. But it wasn't like that in the Old Testament. You had to wait for the prophet to show up. It was a big deal when the man of God rolled into town and said, Thus saith the Lord, let me tell you all what God has told us. That's a big deal. They refused to hear it. Look over real quick at Zechariah, second to last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah uh, chapter number 7 and verse 11. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11. To me, this is a very powerful illustration of, the, uh, 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 of their hardness of, of heart here. Zechariah chapter number 7, verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, Zechariah chapter 7, uh, it says, But they refused to hearken pulled away the shoulder, stopped their ear, they should not hear. So you ever want to talk to somebody in a, in a, um, a little bit more intimate way, so to speak, a little closer, maybe like a heart-to-heart, or, or like, I, you know, I, when I want to talk to Isabella, she does something wrong, or she's in trouble, I don't just stand over her and stare down at her. I, I maybe get down on her knee, put my hand on her shoulder, or you know, hold her hand, kind of talk more face-to-face with her. What it means is they pull away the shoulders, that it's almost like they... God came to them to talk and put his hand on his shoulder, and they said, no, get away from us. Get your hands off of me. Don't touch me. That's a pretty strong reaction. I mean, there's, there's no uh, ambiguity. You, there, no one's wondering what you're meaning when you say you pull your shoulder back like that, right? And then it says they, they pull their shoulder away from God. It says that they stop their ears, literally put their fingers in their ear so they couldn't hear the preaching. I mean, I've, I've been in church where I could tell, I was this one time, I was preaching, and it wasn't my A game. Okay, it happens. You do your best every time, but, I mean, sometimes your best, just you ain't cutting it. I mean, it happens. This, he was sitting in the back row and literally was just doing this as I was preaching. He just goes, it was like a Wednesday. We, 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 service started at 7, I think like 7.18. I'm like, well, Lord's leading me to close the service. We're going home. It was not great, okay? But, I mean, he at least didn't put his fingers in his ear. That's what 
Israel, they literally put their like, little kids like, I can't hear you, la, la, la. That's kind of foolish, but that's what they did. The Bible says that they, they stopped their ears, that they should not hear. Verse 12, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. Now why do they do that? Lest, or so that this wouldn't happen. Lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent in his spirit by the former prophets. So the reason that they pushed God away, the reason they put their fingers in the ears, the reason they made their hearts hard, so they wouldn't hear God's word. And that's, that is a striking, that is a shocking picture. And look at what it says. It says, therefore, it came to pass, verse 13, that um, as he cried, as, uh, as, so they cried, and I would not hear. Say the Lord God, so you don't want to hear me? Fine, I won't hear y'all. Now, I, okay, I understand this is Old Testament. It's not necessarily a one-to-one uh, correlation from Old Testament to New Testament. But there's nothing good that comes when we disobey God's word. When we refuse to listen to God, nothing good comes of that. It's not good for your marriage. It's not good for your career. It's not good for your children. It's not good for your church. It's not good for you. Frankly, there's nothing good that comes from being disobedient. And so we say, well, I would never, I, you know, I would never, you know, put my fingers in my ears. I would never. But listen, any time that we choose to disobey God's word, we're refusing to hear it. Aren't we? Uh, what's, what's the difference between me putting my fingers in my ears and saying, don't tell me that, I'm not listening, and stealing or lying when I know that it's wrong? I, I know the Bible tells me I shouldn't covet. Guess what? I still do sometimes. And it's not really an accident. I mean, most of the times that I sin, if we're going to be honest, when we sin, we sin on purpose, don't we? And that's refusing to hear. That's refusing to listen. We know better. I mean, we do. What does the Bible say? Be not hearers, but doers. It's easy to hear the word. It's hard. You ever heard the easy preaching, hard living? I mean, and, I, and, I, and listen, there are things in the Bible that are a little tricky to understand sometimes. But what do you reckon thou shalt not kill means? That's pretty, pretty, I mean, most of the Bible is pretty easy to understand. And if you don't know, you have a church, you can ask. By the way, the Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved, lives inside of you. you I mean, he will help you understand he will pray ask him he will help you understand we know so so what's the opposite of that i think it's being sensitive to the word it's being obedient and sensitive right I mean, doing what the bible tells you to do you and we don't you shouldn't need god to tell you two and three and four times if it's right if it's right on the third time it was right on the first time we should have done it immediately right i mean and i am I, I'm, I'm thinking of one instance, not too recently in particular, I knew I needed to, to fix some things, and I just, I knew it was right, and I knew it was right, and I knew it was right, but I just, I just, I was just, I wouldn't do it, I was dragging my feet, I was making excuses, and we had a, a visiting preacher, who's a really good friend of mine, he came and he preached, and his first point of my message, I mean, it wasn't this, but it was basically, hey, Kyle Shreve, get your act together. And I was like, I ah, might be preaching to me, I'm not really sure right now, I don't know. And by the third point, I just remember sitting, I was, of course, I'm sitting in the back of the church, I was like, well... All right, Lord, you win. And I got things right, but I mean, it never should have taken that long. It should have been right the first time. I mean, never should have, it never should have been wrong, but once, once we did, I mean, it should have been fixed immediately. I just, being hard-headed, refused to hear, refused to do what's right, kind of like Israel. Number three, they had terrible thoughts. They had terrible thoughts. Uh, it says, this evil people, verse 10, which refused to hear my words, which uh, walk in the imagination of their heart. 
Now, again, I'm not trying to trick you or trip you up, but when it comes to your thought life, the things that you think, the imaginations of your heart, you need to stop listening to yourself. You need to start talking to yourself. Now, in, in my life, maybe, maybe y'all are different, but in my life, the thoughts that naturally come unprompted, the things that just naturally pop into my head, they're very rarely good things. They're usually things of doubt, of fear, worry, um, anger, bitterness. I mean, those, those are the kind of thoughts that just naturally come to my head. Now, maybe y'all think I'm crazy. That's fine. Whatever. I'm, I, I'm not. But I'm not a crazy charismatic or Pentecostal or anything like that, but I really do believe in spiritual warfare. And I really do believe spiritual warfare mostly takes place in your mind. The, the, the six to eight inches between your ears is the most important real estate in your life. If you can control your brain, you can control your thoughts, your, or what the Bible would call our heart, you've done it, man. You, you, you have got it under control. And maybe this never happens to you. I don't know, but a little, one little thing happens. And it's just, like, it's just like an avalanche of bad thoughts. So I'll, I'll give you an illustration. We had a, a meeting call and a cancel, and it was like, you know, Friday, and the meeting is on Sunday, and it calls, and the pastor's like, hey, something's come up, we're going to have to cancel. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, another cancellation. And we had the, the week of my birthday, no less, all three meetings canceled, Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I was like, man, happy birthday to me. This is great. And I was thinking, like, what if we don't ever finish deputation? What if churches drop us because we take so long on deputation? If we don't get to Chile, what am I? I can't do anything else. We're going to be homeless. I can't afford to pay for a house. and have, We're going to be living in a van. They're going to take the van. What are we going to do? I'm going to be 45 years old, a bum, living in my in-laws' bait. I'm like, stop. How did we get here? In a matter of like two seconds, I went from everything being okay to being homeless. Really. And, it, and, and then you went, that's not that bad of a thought. I'm pretty sure doubt and worry and fear are not from the Lord. The Lord's not giving us a spirit of fear. That's from the devil. And so a lot of times you think, you know, bad thoughts is, it, it's a real, I'm going to kill that guy, and you, certainly you should not be planning murders, okay? But anything, anything at all that goes against the Bible is not a thought you need to be thinking. Anything that is not God-approved, or anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ is not something that you need to be thinking, any, I mean, at all. And listen, it's not wrong for those thoughts to pop into your head, because I really do believe that some demon puts some thoughts in your head sometimes. Really. As you turn to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, think of this. You, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can certainly stop them from building a nest in your hair. Right? So sometimes thoughts just, they're just there. They're just, they're just it's, poof, they're just in your head. But that, that's okay. But get them out of there. You don't need to meditate on them. And as far as I can tell, the Bible doesn't give us a very specific list of things not to think about, right? The Bible doesn't say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, certainly, again, as we said, uh, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, we need to bring that into captivity and uh, subjectivity to Christ. Uh, we're not supposed to set our affection on things here on the earth, but the Bible doesn't give us a big list of things not to do, but what the Bible does tell us to do, it, it gives us what we should think about. And so Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 is that. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, are pure, are lovely, are of good report. He says, if there's any virtue, if there be any praise, this is a command, think on these things. Amen. So that's, that's what you are supposed to think about, things that, are, that, that check all these boxes. And listen, I, I hope you realize by now, I, 
Uh, I love to enjoy my Christianity. I am going to go to heaven, and I'm going to go smiling and laughing the whole way there, if I can help it, right? Not that I won't ever have a bad day or two, but I, I want to be fun. But for, I do want to be very sincere about this, and, and I'm not setting you up for a joke. I want to be very sincere. I don't know you. Um, I don't know the things that you've lived through, and I'm sure that some people in here have lived through some very, very hard things. And I don't mean to make light of that, and I don't mean to belittle that or take away any struggle or trauma or suffering that anybody's ever gone through, okay? So please know that I, I say this very sincerely. But I think I really could help a lot of people if they would just listen to me for psychology advice. My dad never loved me. I've always been a loser. No one's ever cared about me. Well, don't think about that. Next. Really? I mean, that, that's it. I mean, I, I can't change the fact that those things happen. You can't change. I mean, we can't, we're not going to go back and fix those things. And maybe they're even true things. There ain't no virtue in thinking about, oh, boo-hoo and everything's terrible. There's no praise in thinking about nobody's ever loved me and I've always been a loser and I can't ever. Stop. Just don't think about that. If you don't think about it, did it ever really happen? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, it did, but look at what it says in verse 9. When you, when you get your thought life in order, it says, these things that you've both learned and received and heard, and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. God's peace will be with you when you get your thought life in order. Now you, listen, you can't change pretty much anything. People always, you know, it's Christmas, what do you want for Christmas? And I always give them the same answer, I'm joking. If you could lower my hairline by two inches, that would be fantastic. Right? That's, I, listen, I can't, I can't think male pattern baldness away. If I could, I would, but you can't. I can't change it, but I can not think about it. And I can't see it, so it's really not up there, right? I mean, you just think the right thoughts in God's peace. You can't control what happens. I mean, can, I mean, look at your plans for this week. It's Tuesday, and I guarantee you, your plans for the week have already been shot, right? We're two days in. Come on, man. You can't control anything. But you can control how you react to it. You can control how you think about it, right? And so what, how good would your day be? How sweet would your walk with the Lord be if all you thought were things that were true and honest and pure and lovely and, and, and virtue and praise and of good report. If that's all you thought about, your day would be so... If you didn't just walk in the imaginations of your heart and those wicked thoughts that just come from living in the world and society and the devil, if you just thought Bible thoughts, how good would your day be? I think it would be really good. See, the, the worldly meditation tells you that you need to empty yourself out. You need to become one with nature and the cause. That's a bunch of junk. Okay? I don't believe in that kind of meditation. I do believe in Bible meditation where you are, instead of emptied, you are filled with the Word of God. And you meditate on it, and you think about it, and you dwell on it, and you remember it, and you talk about it. And that'll help you. That will help you. Instead of just walking in the imaginations of our hearts. So that's what I mean when I say don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. You, know, you would never buy a brand new diesel truck and put regular gas in it. Right? You're going to tear it up. So you're worth much more than some hunk of metal with four wheels. Why would you fill yourself up with worldly garbage thoughts? Shouldn't you put Bible thoughts in you? Last point. So they were, they were proud people. We should be humble people. They, they were hard of hearing. If we want God to use us, we should be sensitive to the Lord, the Lord and His Word. They thought terrible thoughts. We should meditate on Scripture. And, and number four, and I think this might be the most important one, they were intentionally idolatrous. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says, they walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them. Okay, this isn't just they saw something shiny and they kind of, ooh, that's, they got distracted for a minute. Like, you ever just get caught up and you say something or you make, you, you overcommit real quick and you're like, well, you know, better not. 
uh, I have a friend, um, actually tomorrow, he's, he's, a, he's a missionary with our board to Columbia. He's a single guy, uh, ex-Navy, he's, and uh, we're having his send-off service. He's leaving in like a week for Columbia, but he texted me the other day. We, we, we run and work out together. He goes, Let's, this week, man, 100 push-ups every day and 100 sit-ups every day and like 25 chin-ups. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, I can't do 100 push-ups in a week, let alone 100 a day for a week. And so I was like, hey, you're going to have to forgive me. I overcommitted. That's not what Israel did. Because it says that they were going to not just walk after other gods, but they were going to serve them. And they were going to worship them. This is an intentional rejection of God and intentionally focusing their lives to worship and adore someone or something else. So what is the opposite of idolatry? I mean, the other ones is pretty opposite, pretty easy. So what's the opposite of idolatry? I think it's to love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your body, all your soul, all your strength. It's to be completely sold out and in love with Jesus Christ. And I think if you do that, I think the other three things naturally fall in order. Right? So if you love God, it will humble you. To know, first of all, to know that God will talk to you. Who are you that God would speak to you? I really do. I love this part of Virginia from here west, me in the mountains, and it's just beautiful, and the rivers, and it's just, God made that. When I was coming up over on uh, 77, right up across the border, you, know, you go up the mountain right there, and it's just like the sun was hitting, that valley was covered in sun. I was just thinking, this is beautiful. I was also thinking, don't look too much because I'll drive off the road, and then you'll, you'll be getting the uphand view. But the God who made that, you, you, he knows you. You know him. You're his child. That should humble you. Meditating on the gospel will keep you humble. That God would die for you. Had you been the only person in the world who sinned, God loves you enough that he died for you. He died for everybody, but he died for you. So yeah, walking and loving God, it will keep you humble. Walking and loving with God, it will keep you sensitive to him. Hannah and I, this July, will celebrate 10 years of marriage. And I don't, maybe you think this is a joke, but I'm being serious. She can just breathe a certain way, and I just know she's upset. Like you're just breathing like you're angry. Because you love someone, you're in tune with them. Right? You, you, just, you get to know that person. What pleases that person, you're, you're sensitive. I mean, can I do this? Sure. Well, that, we, we, what does that mean? I mean, sure. No, it means more than that. Because you, and you're sensitive to what a person, so if you love God and you're walking with God, you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life. If you love God, you'll be, uh, you'll be thinking about him and, and, and meditating on him and, and, and filled with a love for him. And so intentionally idolatrous. Yeah, they wanted to walk after serve other gods. Let's be in love with Jesus. And that really is. Who is the kind of person that God uses? It's somebody whose heart is right with him. Isn't that what we said at the beginning, 2 Chronicles 16.9, that God is looking to use someone whose heart is right, whose heart is perfect. Listen, I'm shutting my Bible so that you know I'm done. I think it's very interesting that when you compare David and Solomon, Solomon never really did anything all that bad. I mean, David had a guy murdered, he, he, he had an affair and, and killed the guy and like took a census when God told him he shouldn't and got a whole bunch of people. And I mean, David made some big boo-boos. Solomon never really did anything like that. But David, time and time again, Solomon says, or God tells Solomon, you're not like your dad. His heart was perfect with me. And what was the problem? David never had any, he never worshipped idols. He might have fallen, he might have messed up, but he loved God and he loved God alone. Solomon had all them idols in his life. And I think, man, if I could keep my heart right with God, I know I won't be perfect, and I'm not a perfect person, and I'm not purporting to be a perfect person. 
But if I can keep my heart right with God, it takes care of a lot of the other problems. I mean, the first three points, the, the humility and all that, that's like, that's like a fruit issue. Loving God is like the root issue. You can't kill a weed by just plucking the part. You've got to get to the root. And the root of the matter, the root of being used by God and making the most of your chance to serve God and know him and walk with him is to love him. And so what is the, what is the take home, the action step, what I want you to do is to love and walk with God so we don't miss our opportunity to serve him and be used by him. Let's pray. We love you. We thank you for the day. I thank you, Lord, and I pray you'd help us all to be humble and sensitive, Lord, and meditate on your word. But God, help us, first and foremost, to keep our hearts right with you. As the song says, Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Help all of us, or help me, to keep my heart right with you and love you be used by you. Love you and thank you, Jesus' name. Amen.